and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 13, which is titled Carter's Choice. The episode aired on January 29th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? So at the, at the 55th annual Golden Globe Awards, Titanic takes the Best Drama Award to no one's surprise, and As Good As It Gets takes the Best Musical or Comedy Award. Winning actors include Judi Dench, Helen Hunt, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholson. And to remind us all that we're in 1998, hit TV show Dawson's Creek, starring James Vanderbeek and Katie Holmes, debuts on the WB Network. The show would run for six seasons and 128 episodes. ER alum Busy Phillips joined the show in a recurring role for the final two seasons. During a press conference to address the scandal surrounding his alleged infidelity, then-U.S. President Bill Clinton says perhaps the most repeated phrase of his entire career. Lizzie, you want to do it, or do you want me to just quote? (laughs) I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's so good. It's uncanny. That's... I the last week I was listening to a podcast about this, uh, like digging into the details of this whole thing. It's fucking wild. Like it's yep. it's the stuff you remember is wild, but what's even wilder is the stuff you don't remember and how it still kind of is affecting things today. And it's just. Mm. I'm going to say this. Everybody go follow Monica Lewinsky on Twitter. She I was is gonna, a delight. Yes. I was going to yeah. say that too. She, she is, is a very good Twitter follow. Yeah. And yeah, She's and amazing. They, they they do a good job of like this the podcast is called what uh, you're wrong about mm-hmm. but um the they do a good job of like framing the actual events and like how everything goes and outlining that like yes there was a power Im- dynamic imbalance there and the ultimate responsibility for the affair and everything that happened after it falls on Clinton but they don't sugarcoat it in the sense that like Lew- Monica Lewinsky who has never said anything to the contrary uh, in the years since she was a willing and active participant in the entire thing. Yeah. And in, in many cases was actually the aggressor and like went after him. So it's kind of an interesting, the, the whole thing is so fascinating and that the whole scandal evolved out of a real estate deal from the seventies that had nothing to do with him being president. And it was like when she was probably like what, five years old, like it, it's so strange how, a real estate deal from the seventies and then fast forward 25 years. And you're talking about somebody getting a blowjob in the white house. And that results in this huge scandal. It's crazy. Simpler times going back to simpler times. Spice <laughs> world starring the UK pop group, the spice girls debuts in the U S but is not enough to sink the box office winner Titanic. Again, it wasn't even close with Titanic taking in $25 million versus spice world's 10 million. And I want everybody to note that this was actually probably my first exposure to Elton John was this movie. Hmm. Yep, hmm. he's, he makes a small cameo, and this he would have does, been probably right. where I... Which, how huge for them to have gotten Elton John when he had, like, the number one single, probably, as this was all going in production. Right. Like, Not what anymore. A, what a but when it was in production. Ah. It's, yes. So. Especially being British pop stars, too. Yeah. Like, what a stamp of approval that must have been. Also, I adore that movie. It's It has no right to be as campy and fun as it is. Um, however... Savage Garden has what it takes to knock Elton John off the top of the music charts as their hit single, Truly Madly Deeply, takes the number one spot. What a weird, random song that is to knock off what has been dominating the chart for, like, almost half a year. 
and like this is the thing that takes it off like i just it's strange to me it's not a bad song it's fine but like it's also not like an all-time great song i cannot it's, remember the last time i heard it it's late 90s pop yeah they were a one-hit wonder weren't they pretty no, much no they had a couple no they had okay. a couple they, okay. I, I would say probably by 2000 i feel like people had had their fill of savage yeah. garden but they had a couple they had like two three or four i think I just remember a matter song. I think they did have a music video starring ER alum Kirsten Dunst uh, at one point. I do remember seeing that in heavy rotation on uh, MTV. I just remember this being on like one of like the because my brother always bought the the Now yep. CDs. Yep, they were. I think they were a mainstay of those for a little yep. while. They, yeah. So Daniel, what else was on? What else was on? We got uh, a new show, at least new to us, <gasps> uh, starting this week. So. Uh, if you'll note by the date, we did skip a week. Uh, there was just a week of reruns, uh, except for Union Square, which uh, aired its final episode last Thursday to very little fanfare, and it will never be heard from again. So Union Square has been quietly canceled, uh, and an existing show, but is new to us here on Thursdays, has taken its place. Uh, but first at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with Rachel's Crush... At 8.30 p.m., the new show taking the place of Union Square, Just Shoot Me, yes. one of the ultimate like after-school syndicated uh, yes. rerun shows. Like I've probably seen more Just Shoot Me than I ever thought I would just from being at home at 4.30 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But uh, they check in with the episode Pass the Salt. So if you're not familiar, Just Shoot Me is set at the office of fictional, fi- fictional fashion magazine Blush, uh, comparable to the real-life Vogue. Uh, the show's story is about several staff at the magazine, including Jack Gallo, the owner and publisher, his daughter Maya, a writer for the magazine, secretary Dennis, played by David Spade, uh, former model and now fashion correspondent Nina, and photographer Elliot. Uh, the fir- w- One thing I did not know about the show that I thought was interesting, the entire first season, which granted is only six episodes, but the first season aired over a single month in March of 1997. So they crammed huh. they crammed the entire first season into a single month uh, last March, and then uh, it moved to the 9.30 slot on Tuesdays, where it has sat until now, uh, where it will be through the end of this season before eventually moving back to Tuesdays for season three. I'm amazed. I haven't watched the show in years, at least 10. And I'm amazed, as you read every single character, they popped into my mm-hmm. head with perfect clarity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Like, it's one of those shows that, like, I didn't... Uh, really appreciate it at the time it was very passive entertainment for me as an afternoon kind of rerun show but it's one that i would really be interested to revisit now didn't the actor who played jack gallo pass away recently i think he did i feel like that's why i why it came to the forefront of my mind like other than our show yeah i believe he did pass away just recently and it's one of the only times that i have ever found uh uh, david spade tolerable on a regular basis he generally gets on my nerves pretty hard and this is one of this and tommy boy are like one of the few times that i actually (laughs) find him like pretty okay oh come on you don't love the seminal classic joe dirt no no i don't (laughs) where he confuses a meteor or confuses a giant pile of airplane poop for a meteor yeah no can't say that that one struck me properly yes so the gentleman the gentleman who played jack gallo was george siegel and he passed away passed away march 23rd of this year so. And also, Joe Dirt is a terrible movie, but I was at like nine or ten when it came out, so it was the funniest thing I had ever seen at so nine or ten years old. you were the target audience. Old. I yeah. was the target audience. Tommy Boy is still top five favorite comedies of all time, doing no small part to David Spade. Yeah, he, He's a great straight man. Yeah, in very, very, very small doses, I can yeah. take him, but 
most of the time no thank you but in any event so uh, just shoot me i'll be with us like i said through the rest of this season so uh, at 9 p.m seinfeld with the episode the cartoon and at 9 30 p.m veronica's closet with the episode veronica's night alone it's this masturbation week's... <laughs> i Maybe. I wasn't watching, so I couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> this week's episode had 32.8 million viewers tuning in, uh, down just slightly from last week. And this week's episode is directed and written by showrunner John Wells. Uh, hey. As a director, this is his first of nine episodes. And as a writer, this is his 14th out of 32. Uh, previous one from this season that he wrote was uh, Fathers and Sons. We're jumping right in with our previously on is brought to us by Carrie, and we open the actual episode with ah. Uh, speaking of seminal classics, that, <laughs> that as if you needed to be reminded that it was uh, 1998, "Walking on the Sun" by Smash Mouth is playing over the radio as Carter's driving to work to the ER in a very, very, very January-like snowy mess, uh, and says he followed a snowplow in off the Ryan. In our 85 degree heat right now, that looks wonderful to me. That's because yeah. I'm a sinner and I love winter. Yeah, you have a problem. Remind me again why I'm engaged to this to toward the. It's this balance. Person. It's all opposites balance. attract. It's true, I guess. Um, but yep. Then we have Malik and Jerry and Lydia are just goofing around. Malik and Jerry are playing catch with a like Nerf football, and Jerry's back. Um, he is ready to be taken off the night shift. Lydia says Carrie won't let him until hell freezes over. And there's a very cute moment of Lydia asking Carter's opinion about a haircut that she sees in a magazine. She's like, well, that's so good on me. And he just looks at it and goes, no. <laughs> She's like, okay, fine. Just just great, great admit desk shenanigans that we haven't really had like this level of in a while. Um, Jerry asks Carter how to best deal with Carrie for negotiating to getting off of nights. And Carter says, appeal to her innate sense of fairness, to which Lydia responds, she has a sense of fairness. <laughs> um, sassy Lydia is always peak goals. And we, we learn that Anna is on and she is sleeping in exam room four because it's currently very quiet in the ER. So she had grabbed some winks. But I want to note, as I said, it is very quiet. There is nothing going on. It's very similar to Blizzard. Mm-hmm in the opening there's at of. least one patient though yeah but like as far as like the actual like flow of the episode yeah. where we open it's it's got very blizzard quality to where like no one's doing anything yeah. and it's also at night yeah too at least when we start yeah. so it's not like coming in like later he's, in the morning and yeah and he's still he's, no one he's coming in at like 5 a.m 5 yeah. or 6 a.m so yeah, Carter goes into creep on Anna where she's uh, sleeping in, over in exam room four and covers her up with a lab coat. And this is supposed to be played off as cute, but kind of feels creepy to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not this. Yeah. There's entirely too many people on this show. It's not just Carter. There's entirely too many people on this show watching other people, usually women, sleep. Like there's yeah. just too much of that. I'm not a fan. Uh, she wakes up and it's, we find out it's 6 a.m. Carter offers to go grab breakfast from Doc McGee was over for them and he brought her a donut and they're expecting three more feet of snow today. Okay. That's nine to ten inches is usually our point here in the Chicagoland area where things like grind to a halt. So three, three feet, feet would, in a single day. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure I think I, I think it was still under two feet is when like Lakeshore. Snowmageddon. Yeah, Snowmageddon in 2011. I have to look it up, but like I feel like it wasn't my freshman year of college here. Yeah. My senior year of college. 
But you That's, weren't in the city for it's true. it. True, I was. I was out in the suburbs. I where was, it was even worse. I was living downtown when that happened. Well, at least you weren't on Lakeshore Drive. I just did the quick math. If they were to get three feet exactly, that would be at a, that would be a rate of an inch and a half an hour. Like that's the like. Granted, I'm from an area of the country that shuts down for even the threat of snow sometimes. But an inch and a half is enough to grind things to a halt for at least a day, maybe two. So to get to be getting that hour by hour for a single day. That's fucking, that's hard to imagine. Yeah, Chicago doesn't get like a ton of snow over the winter, typically, but... When we do. Yeah, when we do, we tend to get it in large chunks. We get it in dumps. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he brought her a donut, and Chase is doing well. He's off, he's off some of the withdrawal meds that he was taking. And I want to note, Anna is sleeping in an empty exam room that has not been being used, <laughs> so whose films are those? And they have no patients anyway, so... yeah. Real, real great patient privacy maintenance here, guys. We go from there. We have paramedics bringing in a, a big gunshot wound victim, uh, multiple shots to the chest. Uh, they are short on people. Uh, they have, they're short on blood supply specifically, which is kind of a recurring theme that comes out throughout this episode. And they have some coming in, but it's stuck at the airport at O'Hare. Uh, so not great here which the, the blood supply thing like i said that's going to come up a couple of times in this episode in varying uh, mm-hmm. degrees so uh he's a security guard who interrupted a rape and it's it's believed that he is one of the victims of our serial rapist that we've been dealing with over the last few episodes the victim was 70 years old still alive and being treated at the scene uh rapist was not caught but they believe he might have been shot by the guard so they're they're hopeful that they might be able to catch him uh, as they're going, rolling him up to the elevator to go up to the OR, Mark comes in off the L since his snow was, since his car was snowed in, not his snow was carred in. That wouldn't make sense. Close enough. Uh, and they are seemingly suddenly letting Carter and intern run traumas, which did might that be... seem weird to you? I mean, Cons- I'm just saying, considering how much of a deal they made it at the beginning of this season, that like he was to follow Anna, he was to follow Doyle, mm-hmm. and he was to like take yeah. orders and they ask have... before he does stuff. So to have him running this just seemed really odd to me. They've definitely relaxed that a lot narratively. Right. Like I don't I don't know, you know, between characters what whether anything has been done about that, but like definitely from a narrative perspective, they have relaxed the whole Carter is an intern thing that has to be beaten into your head for the first few episodes of this. But um big old uh, gross trauma here, lots of blood on the floor. Uh, there, Carter seems determined to save this guy at all costs, uh, even though it's looking like more and more of a lost cause. And uh, Carter wants to continue to try to transfuse blood. And finally, Green has to stop him and say, call it, Carter. Save the blood. And again, the blood thing comes up again. So keep that in mind. Uh, they end up calling time of death. Uh, Carter, again, uh, wanting desperately to save this guy because he helped stop a rape Uh and Green has to has to tell him no good deed goes unpunished. So, and I think uh, I think this is Carter's first run in with the old lady assault storyline because up till now it's been a Green Carol thing. Right. I wish we had a better name for it than that, but that's really like that's really what it what is. What it's been. Yeah. So I was just curious if you know we've seen him have any interaction with the storyline up until now because to have him suddenly be the one that carries it. Right, yeah. For the rest it, of this episode is just odd to me. It's It seems like by this episode, it's the kind of thing that has kind of wormed its way out to right. the entire staff. Everyone seems to be familiar with it and also seems to have formed very strong opinions about it. 
So, but up until now, it has been a very kind of insulated thing where it was just between Green and uh, Carol. So, uh, interesting how that happens. But uh, then we go from uh, there into the intro, and we are in with the bangs. 13 for 13 on the bangs. And I would like to know, I just quick looked it up, the 2011 Snowmageddon snowstorm uh, was the third worst in Chicago history and was lasted for 40 hours. And in that time, we got 21.2 inches of snow. So not even three feet. So there, yeah, <laughs> this would be the all time worst. That locked down the city for about two days afterwards. Uh, at, at its highest rate, snow was falling at two inches per hour. Also, one of the rare instances of thunder snow in yep. the city. And <laughs> yep, that's Daniel's a face on the on a Zoom call just went <laughs> huge. Um, and at with the thing that really killed us was wind gusts of up to seventy miles per hour. That's the, what buried Lakeshore Drive. Yeah, the other thing that was really scary with that was um, they were warning people don't go walk on Lakeshore Drive to take pictures of the lake. Like you will get stuck out there. You will freeze. And people like my classmates, because I was in college, they were like, oh, this is going to be cool. And they'd go like take walks to look at it. And it was just like, no, when the when the when the news is telling you, like, stay put in your warm shelter, it's generally advised you stay put in your warm shelter. Like to go sledding out in the park across the street is one thing. But to go walk to the actual dangerous area of the city where the lake is and the snow are being blown together. Yeah. Like maybe don't. Maybe don't. So. so there's some context for what three feet of snow when it's already been snowing. <laughs> so they're a little hyperbolic about the this, uh, weather. This episode yeah. should have been called Blizzard, basically. But then from there, we get Anspa and Carrie are coming in from the parking garage. And I just want to note, I love everybody's winter looks. I haven't done a Lawrence fashion watch in a while. So everybody everybody looks really great here. I'm loving everybody's winter coats. And they've, we've got some very interesting hats and scarves this episode. So just everybody keep an eye out on everybody's peak winter looks. Um, the board is beginning negotiations with SPG for management contract and Carrie says that she regrets to hear that and Anspa hates that they'll look stupid and that Carrie didn't air her misgivings sooner before they put this to the vote and Carrie essentially says you want me to fall on my sword in front of the board of directors Anspa responds well it is your sword to fall on this was your baby I mean he's got a point yeah uh, and then we go over to Cynthia and Mark because who doesn't love those two uh <laughs> Cynthia is complaining about some rent thing uh, like she, like her landlord wants her to sign a six month lease instead of being month to month, and raise it by like fifty dollars or something. Yeah, like that. from like four something to five something. It was like four fifty to five hundred. Yeah, I, I just I I love the level of disinterest that you have with her storyline. Where you're like, she's complaining about some rent thing. Like it just this this woman just yeah. keeps talking, and we're just continue to have to deal with her. It's one more but, episode. Yeah. Mark she's gone tries, next episode. But Mark does the Mark thing and tries to solve it by throwing money at her. And Cynthia is trying to subtly ask Mark to... Subtly? <laughs> Subtlety of the hammer. That's true. Yeah. That's true, I guess. She thinks she's being subtle. Yeah. Um, to try to get Mark to move in with her. To move in with Mark. Oh. She wants to move into Mark's place because she makes the comment of, oh, I'm sleeping there all the time anyway. Ah, yes, 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 yes. That right. shows how much Lizzie was paying attention to Cynthia. <laughs> she, I, I mean, just, I get it. The Cynthia fatigue is real. I'm just, is is next episode the last we see yes. of her? Next yeah, episode, okay. our long national nightmare <sighs> is over. Next episode. Thank God. 
Go and, go solve sexual assault crimes in and then, New York. <laughs> and then what else happens here that kind of is a running joke for a little bit for oh, Mark? Mark tells uh, Jerry to get the, some mud mats down in the entryway. Because it's melty. It's snow. a little slippy. Slippery. Slippy. Slippy toad. <laughs> so then we find out that Unit 57 is in on their way with the rape victim. And Carrie asks to talk to Mark regarding the SPG contract. And she also... Uh, she also, as she's going in to talk to Mark about this, uh, yells out to Jerry to put mud mats down, <laughs> continuing the recurring joke, using actually, I think, the exact same verbiage that Mark just did. Yep. So, um, Jerry then pleads his case to Carrie to let him back onto day shifts. Precious baby Jerry in his very ugly tie. I'm so ha- Have I mentioned how much I've missed Jerry and like how, like, what a void it has been in my life for the last 10 episodes almost we're, without Jerry? We're Team Jerry for a reason. I was going to say, hashtag Team Jerry. Uh, it's not just a hashtag it's a way of life like we we love that we love our large simple boy uh but i just realized i'm sorry i just realized on the team jerry sticker she drew him with a hideous tie too (laughs) it's very i'm I'm looking at i'm looking at my computer right now and i'm like no he's got the tie even in the sticker angela misses no details (laughs) uh so carrie says all he has to do is pull a double and cover randy's shift because she's snowed in so and i love how I, I'm sorry. I love how when Jerry's like proposing this and very like businessy and gentle about it, Carrie looks at him and goes, is that it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've gotten that look. I have to say, I've gotten that reaction from bosses before yeah. when things that are very serious to me are just kind of brushed off as no big deal. Isn't that the worst feeling when you spend so much time crafting like perfect responses to everything and like you've got like counter arguments, yeah. you're expecting a big argument about something and then somebody's just like, okay, whatever. Or you're expecting a big discussion about something. Hey, yeah. coming out, coming out as trans at work. Yep. That was the thing that happened. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. They didn't care. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Jerry is back on his day shift and all, all is right with the world. We're losing Cynthia and we're getting Jerry back. Uh, that is the fairest happy, of trades that is happy the best birthday trade. to me great trade uh but paying off our little running joke about the mud mats carter comes in in the background and immediately does one of his patented physical comedy pratfalls uh slips and falls spilling all of their breakfast all over the entryway right as the ambulance pulls up perfect timing yep. not not everything though because anna's able to salvage a piece of toast yeah yep. i did see that that was good <laughs> good good team it was so there. funny because i there's a uh there's a little uh visual gaff i guess or goof later in the episode that i caught and i thought for sure it was going to be one that imdb's goof section would have caught but it and it wasn't but they did make a big post or like a big thing about how this doesn't make sense because the styrofoam containers he's holding don't make any noise when he hits the ground and i was like really that's the nitpick you want to make that his styrofoam containers that he dropped didn't make enough noise to satisfy your, like, that should have been louder, and that counts as a goof in IMDb's eyes. You can't satisfy some people. I mean, look at Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> yes? It's her birthday. I gotta call her out. Everyone wish her a happy birthday in the comments of this episode. <laughs> Two weeks um, ago. I would like to point out that I am the most easily placated human in the history of the universe thank you very much all right we're just never gonna bring up the the trauma films ever again don't (laughs) don't take my one my one bit away from me how dare you confront me with my own bullshit uh so in much more tragic news the rape victim is being brought in and we find out she's 72 years old still alive they zoom in not zoom in on her but they you know turn camera look at her and they're like you know, undressing to figure out what, what her problem is and examine her. And 
We find out he cut whore into her this time. And Bastard tried to strangle her and then pushed her down a flight of stairs. Uh, Mark lets Anna run this trauma. And Carol walks in and just says, another one? Not great. Yeah, when when they lift that bandage up Oof. and you see the cut, I, I actually, I was like, Ugh. Yeah, that's, that is uh, rough. But I mean, it's... From all the, like, true crime bullshit I listen to, there is an escalation of mm-hmm. violence and stuff to these types of serial assaults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from that standpoint, it's very, like, authentic, I suppose. But but it's... I, I'm so ready for old lady assault storyline to be done. Well, it's done this episode. Yeah, this is it. This is the end of it. Yeah. And Greg Powell still gets away with it. See? What? Would have been a much better ending to the story. Were, were you not here two days ago when I said that Greg Powell is the murderer? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. How we decided that that would be a much better ending to the story than what is actually, now that I've watched this episode and remember what happens, ultimately a pretty wet fart of an ending to this very upsetting storyline. Yep. Yeah. Uh... But anyway, let's go in. Che- let's go up and upstairs and check in with our surgery buddies. Uh, we got our first audio clip of the episode for you. It's uh, Elizabeth and Benton uh, checking in on his hangover. How's the hangover? Painful. No hard feelings, I hope. No, of course. Ah! <laughs> I'm really sorry. There's a novelty shop down the street from my flat. No magic tricks, rubber bugs, black soap. I love that sort of thing, don't you? Not really. Oh, sorry. Why are you so late? It's not like you. Uh, Carl wants to put Reese into a daycare. He's not even a year yet. I'm afraid you won't get much sympathy from me. My mum gave me to a nurse after I was born and went away on holiday in the south of Spain for three weeks. It was nannies after that and boarding school by the time I was five. Any time, Dr. Benton. This collective is not getting any younger. Okay. So anyway, I'm on the phone with this nanny service. Four fifty a week after taxes. That's two-thirds of my take-home. You got any lunch plans? I doubt I'll have time. I'm buying four fifty a week. That seems like a bargain. No, I'm just trying to think of like trying to pay for anything that would cost that much. Just makes me go nope. Yeah. Especially when we learned how little the doctors are actually making. Yeah. Mm. I'm just saying, in general though, like we're gonna have some talks about wages in this episode that as things are discussed later on. But yeah, I was gonna say by today's standards, that seems like highway robbery. <laughs> yeah. Oof. For a for a one-on-one nanny yeah child care is no joke that shit is expensive i still love these two and i mean of course it gets so much better as the episode goes on but God. Like, oh, we'll have more e- later on e- i already know what video clip i want to request you pulling for this episode oh and i already know believe me i've already pulled the one for this episode and i wanted to pull that one but it the scene is a full two minutes and there's nothing to cut without making mm-hmm. it really weird so I I wasn't able to use it I found something that I think is a little better and deserve or not a little not objectively better but is almost as good and doesn't get as much doesn't get talked about as much so gotcha but yeah it's a good one uh but we go for now back down to the ER where uh Doug Connie and Jeannie are rolling in out of the snow uh they're all talking shit about the rapist like I said the the old lady assault storyline has clearly worked its way out to the rest of the staff now and not o- not only is everybody intimately familiar with the details of this horrible series of events but everybody seems to have formed very strong opinions about it so uh doug goes into the lounge where he sees cynthia crying openly and tries to be oh. nice and ask if she's okay and this is some a-tier Clooney face acting here mm-hmm. where 
as soon as he asks, you know, are you okay? And she immediately just like lets it all come out. Watching Clooney like try to leave his body is like one of my low key favorite things of this episode. (laughs) This reminds me so much of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? (laughs) Where his character thinks he's a good guy and then everything he does, like body language wise, proves the contrary. It was so perfect. Like, he mm-hmm. just, the second, you could just tell the second she starts talking, he's like, I immediately regret saying anything. Like, yep. I just. Because you can, you can see him even waging that war with himself as he's putting his coat away if he wants to ask. Mm-hmm. And then I like, like he's... I like the part where she's like, you know, he's like, well, have you talked to Mark about this? And she's like, well, I've tried. You know, she's like, anytime I bring it up, she's like, he just kind of blows it off. He's like, she's like, and we usually end up having sex instead. And Clooney's reaction is basically just one of like, well, yeah, I get it. Like he kind of like tilts yeah. his head to the right and is like, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> I've 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 made that move. Yeah, it's so subtle. Like the whole thing is just so subtle, and it's oh my god. But yeah, Cynthia is just a hot mess. She has no idea how to talk to Mark or how to get through this whole thing because it's kind of a casual hookup that should not have gone this far. But Mark was being right. a sad boy and he let it go further than he should have. Right. So. Uh, she's just complaining about their relationship Mark giving her mixed signals and everything and like just they just need to break up at this point but she and she even asked at one point is 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 Mark scared like she just doesn't she so clearly does not understand him as a person and they're so like fundamentally incompatible just uh, almost there we're almost there yeah her delivery of is he scared because he cares so much that just I was I left my body yeah Oh my god, though his face like that's the clip that I pulled. Like I pulled all of Clooney talking Good. with her, and just Good. because I was like sitting here laughing my ass off watching his facial acting, it's low key the one of my favorite parts of this episode. All right, and then we go back to little old lady trauma, and Mark tells the paramedics to wait outside because it's getting a little crowded in there. We should note Greg is one of the people who brought this woman in. Um, her hip is dislocated, so Anna and Carter have to pop it back into place and then they send her up for a ct powell asks how she's doing and he asks carol and i am just waiting for doug to see him and carol talking and just punch him out just thinking of season one doug Mm -hmm. i just don't want them talking i don't know stop (laughs) stop trying to make fetch happen it's not going to happen okay just these two do not have chemistry it's it's almost worse than cynthia because at least cynthia and mark have like that accidental we're both a mess chemistry these two have just like no chemistry yeah like you said it's it's a pairing of inconvenience Mm -hmm. and we said we were going to discuss uh wages again so let's talk about that now so we got benton downstairs is asking connie and lydia what they do about child care they're talking about babysitters versus daycare versus nannies and everything and they say that benton was a product of a bygone era because he was raised at home daniel's face right just just benton's whole attitude here is just very kind of gross and it's like it's like bordering on misogynistic a little bit like he's because they're almost he he does he he goes right up to the line of but not fully saying like women should be at home raising kids yeah yeah like like he kind of goes up to that line but doesn't quite get there because remember carla runs a successful restaurant well it's that, and it's also his opinion is kind of like it's gonna mess Reese up if anybody else is looking after him. 
Yeah, like, what the fuck, dude? It's, um, it's 1998, hello. bro. Like, I was, daycare's been a uh, thing for a while. Yeah. I was a latchkey kid who was babysat by a rotation of my mom's college students. <laughs> and, like, or... Is that why you're so well-read? Yes, because my mom's a college professor. That could be part of it. Well, um, because the college students were babysitting I, you. I, were... I don't know what would have been the college students. I think it was just my mom's influence in general. Um, they were all lovely. I'm still in contact with some of them. But, no, it was either the, the rotation of college students or it was my sister when she was old enough because there's a six-year age difference. But, yeah, no, us latchkey kids are fine. Mm-hmm. Like, leave him at home yeah. with a babysitter. He'll be okay. Shut up. Yeah. Or it can be like me and... My parents, uh, after school, kept me in, like, still at school, but they had, like, an after-school like, yep. daycare mm-hmm. program that I stayed for a couple hours afterwards each day, and I thought it was great. Yeah, I was always jealous right? of those kids. I was one of the ones that would, you know, yeah. get picked up every day, and some of my friends were like, oh, I'm going to the after-school yeah. program, and they, like, played dodgeball and shit. And, like, yeah, because yep. like, I, I, I got a snack, and... Video games? Yeah, and, like, yeah, we, they, had a couple, they had a couple TVs. They had a bunch of different craft stuff set up, and a bunch of different art stuff set up, and they had a bunch... And if you wanted to, they had like three of their volunteer, uh, three of their people outside chaperoning us. We got free reign of the entire uh, play of uh, the entire play place that was outside the entire what jungle gym? Yeah, so yeah. Out there, play the entire playground. Play I, can't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. But so like when with significantly less kids than during our lunch hours, so yeah. I could ride that fucking tire swing all the fuck I wanted. <laughs> so do you guys want to hear a real fun story of how my best friend? ended up thinking I was one of the bad kids in elementary school. Oh God, please this tell is a story. Incredibly hard to imagine. So yes, please. Do you so, uh, let ra- me let me set the, the the theater of the mind here. Do you have a bowl cut during this? I think the bowl cut had grown out of <sighs> okay. But I'm gonna pre- for for the purposes of the story, I'm gonna pretend you have a bowl cut. It's okay, go with the bowl cut still. Um so my best friend Riley, who I became very close with in high school, didn't really hang out with him much growing up um we were both in the after school care program together he's a grade younger than i am so i don't really think we hung out too much during this period either it's kind of like how you're like kind of aware of the kids that aren't in your grade when you're in like elementary school very strict social boundaries there yeah you just you hang out with kids in your grade it's what you do he would have been too young but um but yeah so one day myself and two other kids it had been really rainy and we were out on the playground, and we thought it would be fun to throw mud balls at the wall. Not in an act of vandalism, just in a, hey, this will be oddly gratifying from, like, you know, they, they're going to be messy and go splat, and it'll it'll be really cool. Uh, the janitor wasn't too happy about that. Mm-mm. The supervisor of the after-school program wasn't too happy about that. So myself and these kids, we had to wash the walls. We had to brush the wall, like not with power washers. We had to scrub the walls to get the caked on mud off brick because brick holds that Mm, harsh. So my best friend Riley told me years later when we, when he was like, yeah, I remember you in kids connection and you and -and (laughs) so-and-so throwing the mud at the walls and we, and like, we thought you guys were such bad kids. And I'm like, Riley, that is maybe the only rule I have ever broken in my entire academic life. And she never did anything wrong ever again. I was, I felt so bad. I, I didn't realize I was breaking a rule. I was just like, no, this will just be cool. (laughs) I did a lot of stuff like that as a kid where it wasn't anything malicious. I would just do stuff to see what happened. And my mom was like, you need to stop doing this. (laughs) Just, just stop. 
But anyway, getting back to the episode, capping off this discussion was all are all of them uh, thinking, oh my god, how expensive a babysitter is at eight to ten dollars an hour. I know. Was that like I, I get that? I mean, I'm trying to put myself in a 1998 headspace too because I like I'm remembering like when I started working in like 2006. So that would have been only like eight years after this. My starting wage at my first job was like I think. 550 or something or 585 or something it was under six dollars i know that so minimum wage at that point which i know minimum wage has not gone up the way that it's supposed to but minimum wage at least in 2006 was in the like five five to six dollar range so in 1998 like where would it have been like where because like babysitting Probably like four something maybe babysitting I've def- has it. no i've definitely just texted my mom asking how much she paid our babysitters so yeah babysitting we'll to out. me it, it like it is one of those like you know quote unquote like teenager jobs that always seems to be kind of a premium service you know like you are yeah. you're gonna pay more for a babysitter because they're taking care of your fucking child the living I, breathing yeah. human yeah. being I've always, like, the 8 to 10 didn't make me balk because when I'm thinking about it, it's not 8 to 10 for 40 hours. It's 8 to 10 for maybe 4. Yeah, and it's one. It, so, like, when you look at it that it's way, like, it's $10 some, an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but I, I was always too, like, I, and I don't know if this is, like, media driven or maybe hearing aunts and uncles or what, because I didn't grow up with my brother and sister. But, like, I remember always hearing about babysitting in a per night payment yeah. kind of thing yeah. where like I, I rarely I so rarely heard about babysitting as an hourly thing where like yeah. you're gonna get paid this much per hour it was always like no we're gonna pay the babysitter 50 bucks for the night or whatever yeah it, so it was hard to gauge kind of yeah. where they were it just it still seems low talking about it in 2021 eyes where you're like eight to ten out eight to ten dollars an hour for babysitting I bet most parents nowadays would see that as a fucking bargain yeah yeah well, you're also thinking, too, he's less than a year old. He's not in school, so it's not just an after-school thing right. or a right. thing at night. You're probably looking at some adult, some grown adult doing it for the entire day. Yeah. So. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. What happens next, Daniel? So we go from there. We see uh, Doug finally, finally walking in on Carol and Greg talking. Sees them talking in the hallway outside the trauma room. Um, he is looks like he's about to go interrupt them, uh, but he gets asked to go look at a newborn uh, because OB is short-staffed, so he can't. So he has to run off to go do that. And this little uh, scene right here is the very last appearance of Greg Powell. So bye-bye, Greg. Woo! Like We don't have to see him anymore. And But that also means we don't really get much in the way of any kind of resolution. This is all tied up in a nice little bow by the end of the episode, and Doug and Carol are back to normal. So this was a really strange little, like, what, episode and a half detour where we just brought in the guy from CSI to, like, create a speed bump for the sake of a speed bump in the Doug and Carol story and never to be spoken of again. He had to leave to go be a crime scene investigator. Maybe he'll pick up Georgia Fox on the way. Yeah, exactly. Lord knows where she is. Not on this show, that's for sure. (laughs) Out in the void. Probably getting ready to do pickups for CSI. They're doing casting for it or something. We had this discussion. We did. We, we, yeah, we're, no, anyway. I'm leaving it alone. But, <laughs> uh. but uh, Carol, after we come back from the commercial break, Carol catches up with Doug as he's coming out of the pizza ICU. So let's listen to their conversation. Doug. Doug, come on. Is that the guy? We were talking. He was upset. Another elderly rape victim came in. I was trying to calm him down. Was that the guy? Yes, that's the guy. 
But I'm not seeing him or anything. No? Yeah, you're not ready to commit, that's fine. You want to screw firemen, fine. Just don't humiliate me in front of my friends. Humiliate you? What about the surgical tech in the on-call room? Or the peds nurse in the parking Ancient lot? Ancient history. How about the drug rep with the fake breasts and the big Ancient hair? Ancient history. I'd have to do the entire Bulls lineup on the damn admit desk before I even began to be equal with you. Is that what this is about? Is it about getting even for things I did a long time ago? No. This is about me needing some time and you being really pissed off that things aren't working out exactly as you planned. I've spent years, years of my life changing to fit your needs, working around your schedules, your insecurities, your inabilities to commit. Well, you know what, Doug? It's not all about you. I know that may come as a shock, but a relationship is give and take, two people as equals, and right now I need something. So you can grow up and accept it, or you can go on being the same selfish, self-centered bastard you've always been and refuse to give me the one thing, the one thing I've ever asked you for. Okay, several things about this. So many things. Um, can we just, like, we just need to have Jen T record us a voicemail and, like, put it in um, before we actually release this episode? Because I think she's going to say anything that I have to say better than I could with this. Daniel, take us take us away. First of all, um, crying voice without the accompanying visuals really just takes a lot of the drama away. <laughs> And it really just sounds like a crying kid. Like it's really, it, it really does not, it doesn't have the same emotional impact as when you're watching and hearing it at the same time. It sounds a lot sillier when you're just hearing it. And also too, there's this, this is very much that thing that often gets attributed to women, but is also something that men in relationships can do as well. The thing of when you know you're losing an argument, so you just start to cry to like <laughs> like pull the you just pull the tears lever just to like maybe gain a little bit of emotional traction and be like well see I'm crying now aren't like aren't I actually the victim here because it's like does she maybe have a tiny little sliver of an iota of a point maybe but let's not pretend like she didn't just make out with the EMT guy the very last episode <laughs> And I also want to say, let's not drag Linda Farrell into this. You two were broken up when that happened. Is that who she's referring to? I wasn't sure when if she, it was supposed to be Linda she, Farrell or if it was just some unnamed drug rep. I don't know. I feel the, like when I she, thought, Yeah, I thought the pharmaceutical rep was Linda Farrell. That's, so. Yeah, that's immediately where I went when she said, with the big hair... I was like, she didn't. I don't. I don't know if she, about her about her breasts, but the hair was definitely <laughs> large enough to have been Linda Farrell. And I was like, don't do her dirt. Don't do her dirty. You two were separated when that happened. Okay. I don't know. I just. I like. I get where she's coming from. That all of the sudden, with the, um, spontaneous, you know, proposal after they've been secretly dating for months, to all of a sudden go from secretly dating to open and engaged to. Doug wants this huge wedding and wants to like start planning it immediately. Like I I get that. She she's got some boundaries that she's working on establishing with him and I understand that. But to go from happy laying on the couch, let's enjoy just being engaged to sobbing in the middle of the peds hallway because you kissed a guy and your boyfriend's mad about it right. and all of a sudden you're going to bring up all this shit that he did dirty to you when you last broke up. Right. Yeah. It just, it seems very like it's, uh, it's just, it seems like it's a low ball argument Yeah, and it's her way of just playing. Let's 
let's put all the blame back on you. Right. Yeah, she's trying to she's trying to flip the script on him, and it's just it's ringing a little bit hollow right now. And it also rings hollow yeah. too, having seen you know how this unfolds. Like we're halfway through the episode. By the end of the episode, this is all fixed. So it's like yeah. you're sobbing in the hallway, like making a fool out of yourself, like going through this whole big emotional blowout and it's like in 20 minutes you are going to have like forgiven and forgotten all of this so this just seems very unnecessary i don't know i just i it feels disingenuous to me and it's it's carol at my least favorite i'm not saying she shouldn't be emotional i'm not saying she doesn't have a right to confront doug about those feelings but time and place right exactly and like doing this right after he's mad at you because of something you, you did Legi- like he it's, has a legitimate beef. It's it's peak whataboutism, mm-hmm. and it just rings so hollow, and I don't like it. And it, Carol's better than this. But hear me out. Actual storyline where Carol seduces the entirety of the Chicago Bulls in the nineteen ninety seven nineteen ninety eight Chicago Bulls team <laughs> to get back at uh, Doug. Yeah, yeah. With guest appearances from all of them. I was gonna say, but yeah, make sure that we quality sure- TV. But how do you schedule those? Because it's like, yeah, you want to leave Jordan for last, obviously, because it's Jordan. But you know you're not getting past Rodman. Like, you know what? It's like once you climb Space Mountain, like, you ain't coming back down. Like, My sister's guess, by the way, for the babysitting pay rate was five an hour. My mom has not gotten back to me yet. We'll find I out. I don't know. But, but yeah. come on. Come on. There there has to exist a an ER show. Unit. Yeah, there has to exist a spinoff. No, not even a spinoff. Just through line for the next like season and a half yeah. of we've spent the last what three or four episodes going through this very upsetting uh old lady assault storyline why can't we have a five yeah. ep- why can't we have the last dance but instead of documentary yeah. footage of the bulls season it's just carol it's, working her way through the lineup i'm yeah, okay with carol it. dancing with the lineup that's fine yeah this is not the shit i want to think about <laughs> on my birthday what beautiful people having having what i'm assuming would be very good sex on the admit desk, no. So they clean it. Not very well. Jerry gave everybody staff. Well, that's Jerry's fault. <laughs> Either way, my point is, it can it can have happened behind the scenes. I don't need a through line of it going on and just in the background of our episodes. I'm not talking about showing it on screen. Well, that's what it like, sounded like. We are talking you... about we are talking about primetime television here. It's not exactly you can't exactly have hardcore penetration. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What happens next? I'm Lori? sorry, mom. Um. So Carrie is going to ask staff to do a rotational blood drive to replenish the blood bank. Um, she tells Mark about it, and then she also tells Mark about the SPG vote, and she's hoping the ER attendings will all go against the vote so it can be reversed instead of taking the fall for herself. So again, we are seeing a little bit more of manipulative conniving Carrie that a lot of people complain about yeah. is her not willing to take ownership of her own actions after she's messed up. So, again, I see where you're all coming from. I think as a whole, this is not who Carrie is. But here, mm, not so great. She has some growing to do. And Mark says, yeah, okay, as long as you don't need me to say anything, I'll show up. Fine. Cool. So, um, then we find out, oh, no, the rapist has been caught and is on his way in for treatment. And Malik says they don't want him. And somebody else chimes in that they should send him to Mercy or Rush. And Carter mentions that the way they should treat him, not great, as he and Anna are working on the victim, not knowing that the rapist is in fact coming in. So Carter says something like shoot him twice and leave him for dead in a dumpster or something like that. So we already, we have a little bit of foreshadowing that none of the ER um, staff really wants to help this dude. I mean, again, I 
can't say that I blame them a hundred percent, but I'm also not a doctor and I'm also not right. You know, swearing an oath to give, you know, the same equal and fair treatment treatment to everybody who comes through the door, regardless of whether or not they're a rapist. I don't know. Like it's, this would be an interesting nurse gen discussion for sure. Um, But we go from there. We see Mark and Doug in the lounge and Doug's telling Mark about Cynthia crying on him for about an hour. And (laughs) of course, Cynthia interrupts. Uh, very cold reception uh, with Mark. Uh, they have a major uh, MVA coming in with a family minivan accident. So, yikes! What are you driving? Which we don't. In your, with your whole family, what are you driving for? Uh, if there's three feet of snow outside, don't you know that's the worst snowstorm in the history of Chicago? Well, and also, like we don't hear anything about this. Yeah, they never follow up on this ever either. Again. Yeah, never follow up on it. We never yeah. actually see this uh, come in. So. Because what actually does come in is our rapist. <laughs> perfect sing-songy tone for such a such a dark patient here. Yeah, uh, patient's name is Jack Miller. He is, uh, you know, it's not the paramedic. Um, he is nineteen. Uh, Jet Mr. Miller is nineteen years old. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, nineteen-year-old yeah. 19 white boy. Yeah, nineteen-year-old white man. But yeah, while they're treating him. None of them are hustling whatsoever. No. They're just going through the exact bare minimum motions. He has a uh, gunshot wound to the chest, and they're li- and they're like, "Well, no, yeah, another twenty minutes of him of him trying to get here would have saved us all a lot of trouble." Um, they are all going so slow on their treatment and diagnosis plan, and Malik is just like, "Let the bastard die!" Like in the middle of the uh, of the trauma room. Yeah. Mark says what, and Mark is in there with Carter, and Mark says, "What about an airway?" Carter says, yeah, he needs one. And it's like, okay. And does it. Yeah, Mark calls Malik uh, over for the family trauma. So I guess they do follow up on that just slightly. Yeah. Like, we never actually get yeah. any, like, tangential follow-up to it, but we do get that little mention of it. And I really thought that when Mark goes to leave, like, because Mark is the only thread of, like, decency mm-hmm. and responsibility in that room. Like, everyone yeah. else in that room is a which is what's so strange kind of about what happens a little bit later because everybody in that room seems to be operating under the same sort of judgmental assumption and like we're that they're they're playing judge jury and executioner in that trauma room and it's just i i have some thoughts about that but i want to get to it when we actually like get to the argument sure so um, but then a couple comes in and the woman has been complaining of nausea and heartburn and says she usually eats some saltines and that makes her feel better, but it's not working this time. And the husband makes a cute joke about how she ate an entire pint of Cherry Garcia. Um, and it turns out that she is seven centimeters dilated and it looks like they both be maybe, um, developmentally delayed or neurologically divergent. I think this might be supposed to be the same pregnant woman that um came into the clinic a few weeks ago hmm. like it's not the same actress the that woman looked more like she oh um, she was the down syndrome yeah patient. like she had downs but i was wondering if they were trying to imply that this was the same like couple and just didn't get a different actress hmm. i don't know yeah it could it could be very wrong but it just i don't know so um because they, they also mentioned, like, oh, you know, Carol's been treating her in the clinic. So that's why I wasn't sure if sure. they were trying to do a through line with them or not. Um, but either way, so this woman did know she was pregnant. At least they're not trying to pull one of those. 
And so her and her husband are in, and they're gonna, she's a little worried about, um, having the baby up in OB because she thinks social workers will come and take the baby away, which we'll touch on a little later. These two are adorable. Yes, they, they are, they are so sweet and I love them. Um, and the way the whole staff is with them is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but then Carter and Anna are working on Jack Miller, our rapist, and... Carter just accidentally punctured the guy, and he's losing a ton of blood. I'm not sure if he was trying to get a chest tube in, and he, like, nicked yeah. something. No, he didn't nick something. He, the guy just had a lot of blood in his oh, chest. Oh, okay, so it was already in the cavity. Got it. Yeah. Um, and instead of giving him new blood, the four units of Oneg that they have left, he has him auto-transfused on his own blood that they've collected, like, as he's been bleeding out. So Anna's not real thrilled about this because Anna thinks they should be using the blood bank stock because that's what it's there for. And Carter's like, no, this is enough. This is fine. It's plenty. Just using what they've got from him. Most of him is on the floor. But Carter's like, this is fine. This is plenty. We'll get him stable. Whatever. Um, Mark comes in, then comes in to check on Carter and Anna and they are now sending Jack up to the OR because somehow the... Um, auto transfuser worked and he's stable without having to give the additional units of Oneg. Fun times. Uh, and then uh, our next audio up here for you is uh, Ellis confronts Carrie about all of the uh, the SPG drama. Overweight 62 year old shoveling two feet of wet snow. Can't imagine why he's having an MI. Well, the grapevine is you're mustering opposition to SPG among the ER attendings. Have to do what I think is right. The board has approved the deal, Carrie. Yeah, maybe they can be dissuaded. Come back here. Come here. Come here. I've put months of work into this already. Whatever concerns you had, you should have addressed to me weeks ago. You should have been more forthcoming about the cost containment strategies you've utilized at other facilities. We're a public company. Whatever we do is clearly spelled out in our literature and our prospectus. Did you happen to read that? Yeah, I had trouble finding it buried in all the rosy profit predictions and glossy photographs of satisfied patients. Come on. You're the one that's been struggling to turn this ER into a cost-effective operation. Are you telling me that you couldn't anticipate what would be necessary to make it profitable? I'm willing to make hard choices, Ellis. I'm not willing to endanger patients. Are you questioning my ethics as a physician? I'm not sure, maybe. Carrie, Hang on a second, Carol. You use me, Ellis. That's what we've been about, right? You use me to get this deal. Well, I don't like being used. You underestimated me once, and you were right to. But don't underestimate me again. I'll see you at the board. I just have to say, both of these actors are amazing in their enunciation and delivery. <laughs> you don't miss a single syllable nope. that they are going off on. Also, lots of women getting heated yeah. in this episode. Yep. A lot of emotional acting here. But I'm glad Carrie at least, like, kind of stands up for herself. Granted, we find out her assumption's a little incorrect. Yeah. But, like, I think they were using each other. To be fair, we'll come up on this in a bit. Mm-hmm. I think they were both getting something out of that relationship at the time so yeah yeah absolutely and carrie got swept away yeah yeah i mean it's probably i mean she's so career focused and so driven in the professional aspects of her life that the first time somebody somebody in that professional realm shows the kind of interest in her that this guy does like i'm sure it's probably easy for her to get swept away like that because it's Clancy Brown will do that to you. You keep saying these things, and I just I don't <laughs> like. 
Can we get, are can we we get looking, Clancy Brown on this show? It's like a Twilight Zone thing. Like, am I, like, is it one of those things where, like, I'm seeing a different person than everyone else is seeing? It's the voice. The voice gets The me. voice is good. I'll give you that. He should do more audiobooks. But, uh... Oh, I would listen to that all day. <laughs> Today we're learning Lizzie's thirsty for Clancy Brown's voice. Look, quarantine has been a long, arduous <laughs> process. It's done strange things to all of us. We're um, all a little... Well, Weird. I'll, I'll tell you this. We're all three of us are seeing a different person. I'm seeing discount Triple H. Lizzie's seeing some deep voiced dream god. I'm not saying dream. Don't I put don't. words in my mouth, I young won't. lady. Um, and then Daniel's just over here actually seeing Clancy Brown. Yeah. Um, but can we have him on the show? Uh, if you can track him down in can his cabin ha- in the woods, yeah. sure. Can we hang out with Clancy Brown? I could. He's one of those actors who has worked in so many things and and done so many different things that I would be concerned that he legitimately doesn't remember doing this like That's the fair. man has like 250 credits to his name and this was like probably a month of his life like i doubt That's he remembers fair. this but. i just want to talk to him i don't care if it's about er let's fair just enough. hang out with him but in any event uh we go from there we see carol uh talking to carrie about the pregnant patient who came in uh we get our first of a couple unfortunately uh uses of a hard r word to describe our patient here Woo! Yeah, as <laughs> yeah. if you, as mean, if Smash Mouth didn't do it for you. It is 1998, folks. Like that's yeah. COVID's that's COVID super spreader band. Uh, uh, Smash Mouth to you, thank you. I always forget about that. Like they yep. were doing so good with the like Smash Mouth says trans rights thing. Like they I were know. doing so good, and then they ruined it. <sighs> and I mean, like at the time, it was the medically appropriate terminology, but sure. that's, this is again, this is one of those jarring things watching the show, you know, right. 23 years yeah, later. It's, it's not a, it's not a we're knock like, no, on you don't s- characters. We're just like, you don't say that. Right. It, it, like we, we, it, it feels <laughs> Lizzie, like you're saying a dirty word when you hear that now. Right. Yeah, Lizzie and I both cringed when, when Carol said it, and we were like, wait, no, that's that's actually appropriate for the time. Yeah. There was like, there what? was one, actually, that we, we forgot to mention last episode. There was uh, Clooney was talking with somebody about going home to watch a Jerry Springer special about people who'd had, who had given birth, uh, or people who had had a baby with a transvestite was the term that he used, and we... Uh, we forgot to mention that. That's just Jerry Springer. Well, I know. Whatever. But, like, it, it's, again, those, like, those different generational terms where, like, that was such a common term back then that now right. seems like, why would you ever say that? But uh, we learned that our patient's name is Mary. Um, and I can't remember if, if, if it's Carol or Carrie who says this when they go in. But Carrie. Yeah, Carrie. Carrie is really good with this patient. Like, Beyond once again, once we get past the hard R's, they're really good. Like face to face, they're really good with this patient. And again, with Carrie, as always, the business stuff makes her look callous and ridiculous sometimes. But when you go back to her and patient care, yeah, she like, really is. Carrie good. nails yeah. it. She really is good. Um, so she's like, I know you love your baby very much, and you don't want anything bad to happen. And Mary is concerned that they're going to take the baby away because her sister has told her that that's what's going to happen. And Carrie, with one of the lines of the episode, that we don't take babies when they have such nice parents. Like, what a sweet, like, ugh. Just, you love to see it. Please, Lizzie, please bring us into the next part of this episode. Uh, okay, so here's that here's that scene that we were talking about that's going to be too long for, our, like, a yeah. representative clip of this episode. But um, the whole, we got the audio of it for you. The horniest two minutes and nine seconds of this entire episode. Yeah, I, I need to say this. 
It's at 29 minute mark in the episode. Uh, Lizzie Corday is a fucking maniac. Yeah, she brings Benton some lunch as he's working on his files. And keep in mind, throughout this entire, nearly this entire scene, <laughs> she is eating a hard-boiled egg in the most seductive way possible. Like, and also like a maniac, according it's, to Lauren. It's it's not right. She, like, she opens it and takes out the yolk mm-hmm. and just nibbles on the yolk. And that yolk she does not just, look, like, like, good color either. Like, it... like, the inside looks fine, but it's got that overcooked, like, grayish color on the outside. Yeah. Point is... It's the most unappetizing way to eat a hard-boiled egg, which is already such an unsexy food. I love hard-boiled eggs, but, like, this is not the food you use to seduce somebody. <laughs> which almost makes it but better. It's Alex, but yeah. it's Alex Kingston doing it, so, you know. All right, take us in, Lizzie. When did it stop snowing? Oh, I didn't know that had. Only the finest culinary offerings from the third-floor vending machine. Tuna or Cheese. I didn't know if you were one of those truly fanatical vegan people or whether a little bit of seafood's allowed to pass your lips every so often. Cheese, please. Ah, a true believer. I must say, I do enjoy a good hunk of rare meat every so often. How long's it been since you've had something really juicy, Peter? Oh, I don't know, uh, six years. I thought as much. Egg? No. Pity. No, I, I eat eggs. I just, um, I just. <clears throat> I've uh, had a thought. Um, I have no family here, no ties, no time. You have the baby, but not much else. And with our schedules, it makes it almost impossible to date or even really meet someone, much less anything approaching a real relationship. So, uh, I was thinking, we're both adults, attractive, we, uh, we enjoy each other. Why not? I won't disappoint. (laughs) (laughs) I've made you blush. (laughs) I, um... I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd be comfortable with that. That's a pity. Oh, there's there's so much to unpack here. Oh my god. Things I did not expect to be the worst part of that. It's so much worse without the visual. Like the visual's terrible, but I've never heard an egg being peeled just by itself. Ooh, that was crunchy in the worst possible mm. sense of the word. I did not hear that part when I was uh No, cuz you had ambient noise around you. It wasn't just in your ears. And also, I usually find the beginning of the clip and then I find the end of the clip and then boom, we're done. Yep. And I'll listen to the whole thing <laughs> usually. Also, I want to point out here, um, we got a nice weather. Uh-huh. When did it stop snowing? We haven't we haven't had something like that in a while, so that's a positive to take out of this. Um, also, the thirst. I'm here for oh, the. Yeah. I'm here for the female empowerment. Oh, of upsetting egg noises like, aside, this is actually yeah, really good. I'm, I'm totally. I'm yeah. totally here for Ms. Corday Assertive. here. 
being as being sexually assertive and going after what she wants. I I do want to note here it it just Lawrence pedantic takes it does drive me nuts that she asks him if he's a true vegan or if he'll eat fish and then she offers him a cheese sandwich. You, she means vegetarian. And, yeah, but uh, true vegetarian. A, another listener of ours uh, who shall remain nameless he also brought that up to me in a DM like he was like he was like this is totally a gaff. And I was like, I kind of pushed back on it. I was like, did they really know the difference between vegan and vegetarian as a common term in 1998? I would say most likely. I would say vegan. It would be, to me, it would be weirder to hear vegan as a general term. I would think vegetarian would have been what she would have gone for to begin with. So that's why it's so absurd to me. It's because it's like, are you a true, it it would make more sense if she had said, are you a true vegetarian? Mm -hmm. Because vegetarian was like a normal, relatively up and coming thing in the, in the 90s yeah. but like to say Plus, are you can you vegan? imagine trying to like with benton's schedule can you imagine trying because there ain't no way that the cafeteria is offering any sort of vegan options we are and we already know that docs does it from way back in like yeah. season yeah. one when he tried to go in there and order something and they were like nope don't have that nope don't have that so yeah i'll i'll stand up for our for our one unnamed listener and say yeah. no i i i noticed that and it bothered me there so i think he's just vegetarian there yeah. is one other visual goof here, though, uh, that when oh. Lizzie offers him the egg, I think it's the shot from over, or no, it's the shot when you're facing Lizzie, she's holding two eggs in her hand, mm-hmm. in the palm of her hand, and then when they do the reverse shot over her shoulder looking at Benton, she is only holding one egg, and she's pinching it between her two fingers, holding it up towards Benton. So they went from two eggs down to one very quickly, but... And it goes back and forth too. Like if you're if they're showing Lizzie face on, she's got two, and if they're showing Benton face on, she's got one. So just notice she was offering him an egg in this trying time. Uh, she's very like she's very aggressive, but she's also very like pragmatic about it too. Like she she lays out her case very uh, very surgically to not to put too fine a point on it. Like she's very like you know we're both busy, we're both adults, we're both like attracted to each other yeah like she she lays out her case very like very pragmatically so mm-hmm. good for oh, her god yes good for her i'm excited for where this is going but oh my god um so with that we go back downstairs and everyone's being real passive aggressive with carter at the admit desk for saving jack and i want to note here we see anna do it and we see malik do it and it looks like everybody's mad at him for saving Jack. Yeah, which I, we'll I get don't into, understand. We'll get into Anna in a little bit. But so it seems like everybody's on the same page that everybody just kind of wished Carter had backed off. Um, then we find Mary's sister Judy has shown up to check on her. Mary is in labor with Carrie leading the charge. Carol asks Mary if Judy can come in, to which um, Mary consents. And Jeannie is the most soothing and best labor coach ever. I want her by my side for the baby I am never having. Um, Anna comes in to assist with the last, like, leg of the birth because she does have um, OB experience from her prior rotation. And, oh my god, that is such a chunk of a baby. Yeah, they say that later is, that the baby's, like, six pounds, some odd ounces. That is not Ain't a six no pound, way. that is a 12 pound baby. That is not, <laughs> that is a bowling ball. Um, but it is it, a real baby. But yes, they have a real. It is a real baby. It is not one of the cute little newborns that they use. That is a baby. And then they um they let the dad Robert cut the cord, and it's a very sweet moment. And everybody did a great job, and it's a very cute labor sequence. And I love everybody in this room. Yeah. That, but that's a fat I, baby. I like when they come so, into the room too. You actually, which I'm sure every mother who has ever gone through labor who's listening has probably 
thought this at some point but just didn't verbalize it the same way as they're coming into the room and she's actively in labor you hear mary go this is really hard <laughs> like she yeah. just very plainly <laughs> states it like this is really hard yeah no thanks i'm good and then we get the shitbag sister yeah yeah we love everyone in the room except for the sister <laughs> Uh, Judy asking Carol if the baby is okay mentally uh, and asks when the social workers will be coming and Carol tells her that they won't be coming because she has two loving adult parents and then she, Judy, the sister makes her case that they are not qualified to be parents and she's like I believe it. Carol claps back at her. She's after she's made her case of they can't do X, they can't do Y, they, they shouldn't, you know, whatever. She's like, well, do you really think you're qualified to make that assessment? Yeah, well, so the reason Carol claps back with that is because um, Judy starts her argument with, you know, I don't mean to offend, but do you think you're really qualified to make that assessment, like, because she's just a nurse? Mm. And then lists all the reasons, like, because, yes, they have jobs, but here's what that actually looks like. Yes, they have their own apartment, but here's what that actually looks like. And so Carol, that's when Carol claps back with the, do you think you're qualified to make that assessment? Which, like, the sister... I'm sure on some level has some kind of valid concern for the well-being of the child, but she is taking it to a level that is right. Like, I think, I think she means well, and it's also just, you know, that was, I don't want to say back in the day, like we've gotten so much better about disability rights, but this was back when like, let's look at like, I am Sam was a popular movie. Like it wasn't exactly like, we were we were real on the forefront for not a lot of nuance. Um, yeah, not a lot of nuance for disabled parents' rights. So, um, I think it's fair for Mary to be afraid of. Yeah. That. Oh no. Yeah. And I think the ER staff handles this brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark uh, agrees to go to meet to the meeting with Carrie regarding the uh, SPG contract. So Carrie will get a little bit of backup on that. And we find out that Cynthia left hours ago, leaving Jerry holding the ball. Uh, was just splayed out on the desk in the most Jerry way possible, oh, just taking a nap. I have missed my large boy. I missed him so much. Just all and everyone, across the desk. Yeah, because the phones are ringing, and uh, and Carrie and Carrie's like, Jerry, wake up! <laughs> like he's just and like knocks a bunch of papers around when he gets up, and just Jerry, goddamn, we've missed you. And uh, after that, Carl shows up to chat with Peter about daycare versus nanny versus yada, yada, yada. Um, Some nice continuity that uh, Peter complains Mm -hmm. about her friend possibly smoking in the car again. Uh, And he says he hasn't signed the form for daycare because it may not be what's best for Reese. Gasp. It's a male friend watching Reese in the car. And this is our first introduction to one Roger McGrath. Yes, the first appearance of first Roger, because uh, much like Al Boulay, we have two different actors who portray Mm -hmm. uh, Roger over the years. This is the first one, uh, actor Victor Williams, who appeared in stuff like uh, most everybody's going to know him from King of Queens, where he played Deacon, uh, Kevin James's best best friend. friend. But he was also in the TV series The Affair and Happy Together. And this is his first of four appearances uh, through 2001. So he actually sticks around a little longer than I remembered. I seem to remember this was a yeah. very quick transition from um, Vic Williams to uh, Vondi Curtis Hall, who will be coming in to play Roger the rest of the way, who we might remember from one of our problematic faves from season one. Was it really our fave? I was going to say, it's it a problematic fave. That was the tongue in cheek 
might not come through on a Zoom yes. call, but is, pro- is tongue-in-cheek problematic. Problematic. Yes. Face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. For some reason, I feel like I remember. So, okay. So, spoiler warning for where this yes. where this storyline arc goes. So I'm going to discuss it for the next couple minutes here. For some reason, I remember Roger being far more involved before Carla died. Yeah, apparently not. Like, I I mean... Like, I remember him being a much larger part of this storyline as Reese goes yeah. deaf, as and, that whole stuff goes down. Because I know that happens, like, next season. Right. But, like, later this season into next season is when we really pick up with the with the deafness storyline. But for some reason, I really think... I really remember... And I him being a larger part of that even before Carla passes away. Yeah, and I think, and I could be completely wrong, but I think that Vic Williams here is Roger for the remainder of the time, like, that we see Carla as, like, while Carla's still alive. And I think it's only after Carla is has died and we've moved into the custody battle phase of Reese's story that it's the second actor. I think I'm not a hundred percent sure about that, but it seems to me that like, it's definitely not, he's definitely not the, um, the Roger when the custody battle stuff is going, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. Hall. Oh, absolutely. But I don't, but like, I don't re- I ever feel... remember Vondi Curtis Hall and Carla ever appearing on screen together is what I'm saying. But yeah, no, but am I, but am I wrong in remembering that when Roger comes to punch out, uh, Benton after Carla, like, admits she still has feelings but nothing actually happened mm. between the two of them like season seven i think like the end of season seven i feel like that was still this actor and that would make sense because he's here through 2001 and season seven would be yeah. 2001 so that that might have been okay. one of his last appearances i know who roger is that's all i can contribute oh <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it we'll talk about I know. a lot more about him in i know next, in in a couple of years when we get to season but what seven other little thing do we learn about roger oh um that he works for the CTA. Woo! Yay, public, public transit, transit. worker. Public transit worker. Lizzie already approves of him. Yep. Nah. Are we are we good on the Roger discourse for now? Yes. Okay. So then Chase shows up at the ER to visit Carter. He's looking really good here. Um, and Carter asks him how he's doing, and Chase says nothing but nothing. Some crank and a half gallon of Stoli won't fix. And then he looks at Carter and goes, "No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm good. I'm fine." And Anna gives Chase a huge hug, which is really sweet. And she unfortunately can't go to dinner with them and gives Carter this, like, pissy knowing look. And I'm really here for the Anna supporting Chase, like, sub story. Mm -hmm. I think that's very sweet. Um, But then again, Mark uses the R word one more time when describing where Carol is when she is working with Mary and Roger and the baby. And Mark says to Doug... We saved that rapist today. Hell of a world, huh? I mean, I get that this is a very upsetting series of events, but I feel like this is probably not the first morally, ethically questionable patient that they've ever had to save. And they're all acting like it's the first time they've ever had to save a bad person. Like, this is part of the job, gang. We've gone through this before. Exactly. And continuing with this sort of plot thread on the uh, perpetrator of the sexual assault... Uh, we got Carter and Anna um, on the L platform outside, so let's listen to them. Anna! Anna! What the hell's the matter with you? Go back inside, Carter. You're going to freeze your ass off out here. I don't understand. This morning, everything was great. 
I'm tired. I was on all night. Let's just call it a day, okay? Is this about the rapist? You know what this is about, Carter? No, I don't. Why didn't you use the blood on hand? It's all we had. So? We used six units on that guard this morning. We were short then, and you didn't even blink. Why not use the blood on the kid? I thought autotransfusion was the best course of action. Oh, please. We could have done a thoracotomy. We could have pumped in blood on the rapid infuser. Yeah, well, he lived. He's in recovery. Dumb luck. You are one of the most aggressive physicians I have ever seen in trauma, and you auto-transfuse him? You didn't want to waste the blood on the kid. You didn't care if he lived or died. It's my trauma. It's my call. Would you have done it differently if the patient hadn't been a rapist? Why? Every case is different. Did you withhold treatment from that kid? No. John, did you withhold treatment? No. First off, I want to note how awkward it is that Carter is chasing after her, screaming, is this about this rapist on the L tracks? <laughs> like, or not to the tracks, but like on the platform. Like, that's yeah. really fucking weird. But go on. What do we have to say about this dialogue? I'm just a fan of this type of scene. Like, I want more scenes like this where they deliberate about techniques of, pay, like, we could, like the way where she's like, well, we could have done this or we could have done that. I don't feel like we get conversations like that to that kind of level of technicality very often. Um, they're usually treated with much broader strokes. And so, like, I, I really liked this uh, exchange between the two of them, and I would have liked to have seen more type of uh, interactions like this. But it's not really something that they do very often. But uh, that was my big takeaway from it was I just really like this type of scene. I, I agree. I think I think it is really nice to have the doctors challenging each other on stuff mm -hmm. like this when they do potentially cross lines. Yeah. And it, yeah. And so, like she said, it's like the dude lived. But what if he had? Right. Yeah. She's essentially like you got lucky, bro. Like you. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't absolve you acting like a shithead and not doing yeah. your job. That is not auto transfusing is not. Is, is apparently not the standard of care in that situation right. so but yeah I, this is actually like this whole thing as kind of in certain ways kind of ham-fisted as it is where like i said they're, they're all collectively as a staff kind of acting like this is the first time they've ever had to treat a bad person um yeah it is also incredibly nuanced and i like that as well like because it's you know carter does like you could see under different circumstances Carter going through the same sort of mental checklist and coming to the same conclusion, given those circumstances of, you know, the snowstorm and being short on blood and everything like that, you could see him coming to a similar conclusion that maybe auto transfusing would be the way to go as kind of a Hail Mary effort. Um, but it's because of the context of the larger story of the rapist and, and the guard and all of that, that it becomes more of a moral and an ethical question. And so it's I, I like that it like even though they treat it with kind of ham fisted gloves at certain points, the overall story and the overall conflict here is actually quite nuanced. And I like that. Like it's it's it, it goes to a much deeper degree than I feel like we usually do with some of these things. Good point. But from there, we go back and check in with our uh, horny surgical twins, uh, Benton and Lizzie. <laughs> and Benton uh, stops Lizzie as she's coming out and asks if she feels like going out for darts. He's feeling a little down after the Roger revelation from earlier. And uh, Lizzie with a very coy, just darts, question mark. And uh, 
Benton, to his credit, you know, and to both their credits, they both handle this very maturely. But like, he's like, yeah, really, like he just needs a friend right now. He's not looking for a hookup. Yeah. He needs a friend. And she just kind of like playfully teases him and is like, you don't know what you're missing. So like, she's she has this like level of self confidence that is like both refreshing but also terrifying, like and intimidating. Uh, but it's I, I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. I, I do have to say, there is, there is one of my friends that I joke like this all the time. So I, yeah. I've been there. I get it. There nope. are some people that you're just comfortable enough with that yeah. you can just say this shit and mm-hmm. be fine. But I, but it's incredibly sexy, in my opinion. <laughs> but no, like that like that level of confidence. Oh, yeah. No, she's, she, she's sure of herself. She knows what the what the deal is. She knows, she knows what she brings to the table. And I'm here for yeah. it. Uh, but we go up to the parking garage where Ellis confronts Carrie, telling her that he has withdrawn the SPG contract. And he says, which I don't 100% believe is true, but he says, I only wanted the contract if it meant working closely with you, Carrie. I don't believe that, but that's just me and my negative opinion of Ellis West, the character. Uh, but, so, you know, turns out, according to him, you know, that he actually really liked Carrie and thinks that she underestimates herself i like i said i don't know i think i just don't like him particularly so i'm i'm inclined to view him through a certain lens so i don't know that i necessarily buy that i feel like he's just saying that because he thinks that's what she wants to hear but i totally think he saw her as a means to an end of getting in good with an attending and getting this contract but that's just me i appreciate that he makes the effort to not be a total dick here though right like, it could be worse, but could be better. Yeah. Is this the last we see of him? And yes, this is the last we see of Clancy Brown as Dr. Ellis West. So appreciate him now, because this is the last you ever see of him. But then Carol is teaching the uh, is teaching Mary and Robert how to swaddle the baby. And it's the cutest thing ever. Like, swaddled babies, I am so... I have no maternal instinct. Like, <laughs> no... Kids are not my thing, but it's the cutest thing ever watching them practice swaddling Mm. this child. Yeah, for me, it's not, God, I wish I had a baby I could do that to. It's just more like, God, I wish I was that baby. (laughs) Yeah, I want to be that baby. I don't want to be the parent. I want to be that baby. Doug says, oh, like he he and Carol are watching at the door and Doug says, oh, looks like they're doing great. And Carol says, so why is it so hard for us? And Doug says, I don't want to push. Take as much time as you need. I'll wait. Okay. <laughs> How wholesome. Like it's cool that they're it's cool that they're cool right. again. Why is like, it so hard? There was a much a much bigger deal about was right. made about you this. You were crying than, twenty minutes ago in the hallway at yeah, work. Yeah, then 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 would that would justify this resolution? Why is it so hard for us in this completely manufactured con- controversy that I created entirely myself? Like <laughs> what? Jesus. But we do get a very nice Carolyn Doug theme note right at the end of their little conversation do, so do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah i love that lizzie just asked me at the very end of this she goes is this just doug and carol's theme yeah, it is D- like, yeah. doug and carol in peril martin, martin pretty much confirmed theme. as much i think he, i think he did say that it was a originally a james newton howard yeah, he, thing that was yeah, established he said in the that pilot. it was yeah that he adopted and carried through because he liked it so much yeah let's wrap up this week's episode uh we are it's a little bit slower audio clip but um still pretty good uh carter shows up at anna's apartment building and it's just hanging out with a beer on the stairs 
you know, like a normal person. In, I want to know, in the public stairwell. Yeah. Not in her apartment. He's in the public stairwell of her building with an open beer. I feel like if he was in the apartment, that would <laughs> there would be a lot more police involved. There's several issues, but... Yeah. Hey. How long have you been sitting here? About an hour. Give or take. I wanted him to die. I saw what he did to that old lady and the others before, and I wanted him to die. I didn't think you should have that blood. I mean, if someone had come in and they really needed it, if some little kid had been hit by a car, or some old guy had been accidentally shot, if someone like that had died because we wasted the blood on that guy, my decision I made it and if he died I don't know how I'd feel but I can't say that I'm sorry Was that wrong? And are you sure? No. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So this is why Anna was mad. And this is why she was snippy with him at the desk. And I think that the two of them, like, I know we've harped on Carter and Anna a little bit before, but I think the two of them here, like their friendship chemistry is so good. I actually, and I actually think, cause you know, I, I can't remember if it's here. Like, doesn't she reach out and grab his hand here? Like, I think she like puts an arm around his shoulder yeah, or something. Like, cause we're heading real very soon towards romantic stuff between the two of them. And that, I don't hate that either. Like it's, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not going to set the world on fire or anything, but I don't hate it. So their chemistry overall is not bad. It's one of the few really redeeming right. parts of um, Delamico's entire run on the show, I think, is the chemistry between the two of I them. Just, I just want Carter to have female friends. He definitely needs to learn how to do that. <laughs> and other than Chen, yeah. he really doesn't. <laughs> so what do we think about this one? Yeah. Much better. Yeah, much agreed. But definitely much better than the last couple of ones. A, because we're finally done with the old person sexual assault yeah. storyline. Yep. Thank God. B, we, we are finally the light at the end of the tunnel with Cynthia being gone. C, Almost. Jerry's back. Jerry, man, maybe that's been the missing ingredient from this whole like first half yeah. of season four has been very little Jerry. We also have, um, I'm trying to think what else is Just going a lot on. of Just... great character interactions between, yeah. you know, Corday and Benton. Yeah, that's Corday's heating up. Fire. Doug and Carol. Doug and Carol like is well acted, but yeah. like it's even a, you say what you will about the content of the actual storyline, but it's well oh, acted. Yeah. I think. But. Which one? 
Doug and, Doug Carol. and Carol. Yeah, they, yeah. they're still yeah. they're they're still very good scene partners. They always bring it, even if the writing isn't necessarily always up to snuff with them. And the, yeah. my really only gripe about this episode is the um, the sexual assault storyline for as much. Um, kind of significance and as much sort of it, it casts such a large shadow over the last three or four episodes that it really does sort of end with just kind of a wet fart like it really it really ends with no no satisfying resolution we don't learn anything more about this 19 year old kid other than the fact that he's a 19 year old kid and he goes up to the OR and is never seen again and so it's just very like unsatisfying from that standpoint that there was so much build up to then end with nothing and it's just no i'm sorry i I gotta do this 19 year old white male well okay i'm not gonna call him a kid but there's just no there's no satisfying resolution to that storyline uh to have warranted the kind of like i'm trying to put myself in the in the headspace of watching this for the first time week to week in 1998 and like this I feel like would have been one of those storylines that it's like, what's going to happen next with this? This feels like a very twisty turny type of thing that's leading to something bigger. And then it, a Scooby-Doo unmasking that it's Greg Powell. All along. I'm telling you that still like, to me, that feels like the better use of everyone involved is to do that because is it a little contrived? Sure. But it's a better ending than what we got, which was essentially no ending at all. But, uh. Yeah, I'm happy. It looks like we're on the upswing. We've got the midseason filler out of the way. It looks like we're we're getting back on an upswing now. Yeah, we so. def- I know we got two really big ones coming. Like next week's is a big one, and the one after is a really big one. So we're, we should be in a run of really good ones now. What do the listeners have to say about this one? Uh, Mary L starts us off by saying slow motion trauma, and I wasn't quite sure what this was referring to. Daniel, do I you think have it's any- referring to the trauma with the rapist like they literally are all moving in slow motion oh yep yep like yep. that that is yep, if you were watching right. this if Duh. you were watching this years ago and then revisiting it now like in, and if you're thinking about this episode i feel like that would be one of your takeaways from this episode is like that's the yeah. one where they all forgot how to be doctors and nurses for 10 minutes yep you're right okay thank you because i was like it's like was that shot in slow motion i just had a moment so thank you uh franner w says elizabeth suggesting friends with benefits sex to peter whilst peeling a hard-boiled egg is the content i had forgotten that i needed to see it's perfectly british and hilarious also cynthia is only here for a few more episodes happy dance Aaron B. says it's one of those episodes, much like Rampage later in the series, where a doctor is faced with the moral dilemma of exacting retribution or fulfilling his oath as a doctor to do no harm. Carter's actions towards the rapist represented the bare minimum of care, which clearly runs counter to his usual no-holds-barred approach to medicine. Carter's human, sure, but it was disappointing to see him succumb to his primordial instincts during this procedure. One of the most underrated moments of the episode was Mark's face when Cynthia suggested she move in. It was at that moment he realized that he had let this go on too long. Yeah, very. I, I think a very Agreed. apt comparison there between this and Rampage. Like this, this feels yeah. like a, a a level one version of the escalation we would get to much later in Rampage when Mark takes it to a much different level. Yeah. One of my, aka one of my favorite episodes in the entire series. I'm so excited. It's a good one. <sighs> all right. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash saying the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can access to our show notes each week. 
And for only $5 a month, you get access to a full season recap episodes, a free stick, a sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews, where we watch, watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan.U. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at Lobob92345, shamelessly sharing the only piece of fan art that has ever been done of me and ever will be done of me. <laughs> it's pretty good. Shout out to Angela G. It's that was real the good. best birthday present ever today it's my pinned tweet if anybody wants to go look we, we need to make that into a sticker yesterday i, I wanted a t-shirt like i want to wear my face around you can also find me on twitter with much less exciting content uh, i am at random gamer that's gam3r as well as on the popular courts youtube channel doing a let's play of mass effect legendary edition new episodes of that are out every friday and you can find those videos and much much more at youtube.com slash the popular court thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time and have a great week 